The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning, Story City. Uh, my name is Caleb. If you don't mind standing, we'll be reading our daily scripture today. Uh, we'll be reading from Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. The one he gave five talents to another two talents and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You are a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servants, if you knew what I reap where I haven't sown and gather why I haven't, I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited the money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But for the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. So, fam, how are you guys doing today? Oh, I got a awake crowd this morning. That is awesome. Good to see you. My name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. We are, uh, again, as Eric said, super stoked to have you. Uh, I have the privilege this morning of introducing a friend uh, who's going to be bringing our message today. So I'll say it's the best sermon you'll ever hear me preach. Because I'm not preaching today. Uh, but here's the deal. Uh, we are in a series called Redefined, a Christian perspective on wealth and power. And, uh, and I thought there's, there's times when it's better to bring in somebody who has uh, a, a healthier perspective or more or different experience than I do to communicate God's truth. And Jeff uh, Carlson, our partner from Vintage Mission in Arizona, has been a good friend for a long time. But, um, but ultimately, Jeff has the unique ability to talk about money because he made his fortune, the first Fortune 500 company he owned, by creating the lid for frozen orange juice. No, not at all. But Jeff <laughs> is amazing in his own right. So would you do me a favor and welcome my friend Jeff Carlson. The first Fortune 
I, could, I couldn't remember which my first was. So, yeah, right, I'm still waiting on anything with the word fortune next to it. Hey, it's so good to be here, uh, here at Story City. Man, I love uh, your church. Um, I love Jared and Monique. I love the redeemed ambition here for the mission of Christ. My wife, Amber, uh, couldn't be with uh, me today because she, uh, her brother um, had uh, another baby. His wife just had another baby. And for my wife, baby wins. And uh, years ago, I told her, we are done with babies. So she will travel to see babies, so she's not able to be with us. But she was with me last September when we had the privilege to be at the launch Sunday of Story City Granada Hills, and what a privilege it was to see the fruit of uh, this congregation's ambition for Christ. And I don't know all the details, I don't know all the sacrifice, and um, I don't know who's not here this morning because they're there, um, but that is what uh, the Great Commission is about, and so, and love to be able to bring God's word here this morning with you. Thrilled to jump into this series. Uh, I always love when I get the opportunity to go uh, to other churches to just jump in where they're at instead of just coming and thinking something I've been thinking about. Um, A Christian's perspective on uh, wealth and power is such an important uh, thing to spend time in. Our topic today, as you can see, on money and wealth is one that, if we're honest, we think a lot about, but rarely talk about. Now, maybe this congregation's different. Maybe your small group's different. Maybe your home is different. But uh, in 2020, Credit Karma found that 68% of people think about money at least once a week. Not just that, but in 2019, uh, the American Psychological Association found in their survey, and I I try to stay away from surveys from the psychological people, (laughs) but they found that not only is money something that we think about regularly, but that 64% of people reported that money is a significant source of stress. You relate to that? And finally, in another survey in 2020, 37% of employees said that their financial worries impacted their ability to focus and be productive at work. After I went to seminary, I had the privilege of spending about a decade in the credit industry, working on the bank side with credit card debt, on the collection side, but also on the consumer side, uh, trying to help hundreds of thousands of consumers get out of debt. And I can affirm everything in those statistics. But we don't need statistics, and we don't need someone who uh, has worked in the industry to tell us that um, money and thinking about money and problems with money are real for us. But here's the reality. Money is part of life. It's always been part of life. Wealth is part of life. It has been from the beginning. And so here here we have this, this opportunity as redeemed followers of Jesus who by his grace he pursued us and he saved us. He draws us into this church community and he allows us and frankly he calls us to, to change our perspective on money. 
Our, our world out there, our community out there, our neighbors out there, our coworkers out there are, are, are viewing their resources in a certain way, in a, I would argue, a dangerous way. We see that throughout our country. And God saves us for something different. And so money is not only a stress in life, it's a part of life. It allows us to enjoy things. It gives us opportunity for things. It provides a sense of security for us. But money is also part of the mission. There's no way I'm going 35 minutes. Well, the purpose of the church is not to accumulate wealth. And if you think that, I pray that the Spirit would change that in you. That the giving of the offerings, the caring for the poor, the building of places of worship, and the compensation to pastors and ministers for the work of the ministry has always been part of God's redemptive plan. But it's in this time now, in this already but not yet time of redemptive history, we have the opportunity to have a biblical perspective on wealth, to use it in such a way as the Savior and the King has determined And the sweet thing is the gospel work in our lives is actually drawing us to this. We actually want this. Even in the stress, even in the difficulty, even in the dreams, even the desires, we want to know what the king says. We want to know what he wants. So we're going to look to him today. We're going to look to Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 25. And my goal, my desire, my heart is that in this conversation, in this message, simply you would take this point, and it's this, that faithfulness matters. Oh, there's a lot we can talk about money. There's a lot of perspectives on money, but I want, I want to take Jesus' story, his parable, his, his story about physical things that has spiritual meaning. We're not going to try to connect every detail to a, a spiritual thought, but there's a story here that tells us that faithfulness matters and followers of Jesus. A Christian's perspective of, of money is to pursue faithfulness in all that God has given us. So let's... let's Take this big idea from this story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, and it's this. Faithfulness with our money hinges on what we believe about our money. Faithfulness with our money hinges, completely depends upon what we believe about our money. sure you've heard it, that our beliefs inform our thinking, and our thinking informs our actions. And so, oh, it would be terrible to get up here and talk about all the things and the list of things that we should do with our money without starting with how do we, what do we believe about our money? In Matthew 25, Jesus here in this story gives us and answers the questions, what should we believe about our money? If we want to pursue faithfulness, what ought we to believe? And I'm going to call them just three beliefs, three maybe bedrock beliefs to pursue faithfulness. And what you will find in the way that this is outlined, I want the focus of our beliefs to not be the money, but to be God. So we'll do it this way. Faithful Christians believe, and I'm going to give you three of them. Faithful Christians believe first that God gives us our money. 
that God gives us our money. Simple English grammar, God is the subject of that sentence. Gives is the verb, and we are the recipients. I'm staying away from whether it's a direct object, indirect object. You lost me there. God gives. He's the source. He is, in this story, you can think, he is the man who is going on a journey. He is the master. And we are the servants. Look back at Matthew 25, verse 14. It says, it says this, and my glasses are upstairs. I wasn't sure what the lighting was on. I'm, I'm at that age. So bear with me. Starts here in verse 14. For it will be like. Just real quickly, for it. He's, 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 he's just going back to verse 1 of this chapter. For the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the visible community of, of God's followers, of the church here on this earth, this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be like a man going on a journey who called the servants and entrusted to them his property. The foundational truth that we must believe first is God is the source of everything that we have. What we see at the beginning of this story is that God is the owner of all things. And that God intentionally gives custody. If you've worked in government and caring for kids, we have a judge in our church back in Phoenix who rotates, and right now he's on juvenile. So he is responsible for the declaring of custody. We understand what that means, or on some level, God is giving authority to his people when he entrusts his things. This is is critical to our pursuit of faithfulness. God gives, we receive. And and this should should be an encouragement to us that because of the sovereignty and the character of our God and his character matters, if I am correctly positioned as the recipient and God is the giver, then I need to know him and I need to rest in his character. Just a few things to note about God. He is a wealthy God. His wealth will never run out. Psalm 50 tells us, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are Mind. He is a rich God, but he is a generous God. He does not withhold from abundant generosity to his people. You can jot down Matthew chapter 7 where he invites you to ask and he gives. And, and how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those at, who ask him? He is a never-changing God. A generous God who gives good gifts. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, catch this, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Oh, it's not a bad thing that God is our source. 
It is a good thing because he is a wealthy, generous, never-changing God. So critical believe because it's easy to us to function, to fall into and to function as if we are the source. And we are the ones that woke up and went to work. We are the ones that made decisions. We are the source. Oh, thank you. That's that's kind. But this is being recording, so I don't think I can put these on. I'm not at that point yet. The doctor gave me the prescription. He said, when you're ready, go get these. It was a year later. Prescription had run out. This may be a first. We are not the source. Back in verse 25, or back in verse 14, remember he said the man entrusted his property. Just just note this, ownership didn't change. The master didn't give away his property. He entrusted him. While ownership didn't change, management responsibility changed. Management opportunity changed. I have a daughter who's a sophomore in college. I'll pray for you is the right response. (laughs) Uh, My daughter, we live in Phoenix, Arizona. It's hot, um, but it's west, and we love the west. Uh, My desire is to get to the coast. I don't know. Maybe this is a step. My daughter wanted to go to college in California, so because she's my only daughter, she got what she wants, so she's in California. And after her freshman year, she's like, Dad, I need a car. Yeah. But since she's my daughter, she got a car. And so um, we didn't have extra cars, so I gave her my Jeep, which she was not upset about. But, but here's what I want to get at. When I loaded up that Wrangler for her to take to Santa Barbara, tough life. When I drove it out to Santa Barbara, when I filled it up with gas, yep, that's what parents do, when I washed it for her and I handed her the keys, we will have a problem if she thinks that was a transfer of ownership. It was a transfer of management. It was a transfer of enjoyment. It was a transfer of opportunity to go and use that to go work and make money. It was a transfer of management, not a transfer of ownership. I guarantee you that title is still in my name. She's going to be at the next service. I don't know if I'm going to use that. Church, there is no difference in everything that we have. God has entrusted to us. And yes, the deed of your condo or the title of your car or the savings account's holder's name may be yours. And it may be mine, but it's given us to manage your God is the source. He he calls us to steward it. What a tremendous responsibility and opportunity we have. Your Bible teaches this from the very beginning. You can go to Genesis and start reading after creation. God said to Adam and to Eve, he gave them management, not ownership, but management over all he had created. 
to fill it and to control it and to have dominion and authority over it and not to think it's theirs. Can you imagine walking and communing with God and he's like, hey, Adam, those, yeah, that's, that's all yours to, to fill. And imagine him in that moment thinking, man, he, this is all mine now. I mean, he, he just created it out of nothing. I did nothing for it. But whoa, what tremendous responsibility to manage what God has given us. Here's here's the last thing on this point. God doesn't give us things randomly or casually. He gives intentionally and purposefully. See, we see this in the beginning here of this story as he he tells us this earthly story to understand a, a biblical principle that he entrusted to them his property, verse Here it goes. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one to each according to what? Ability. Ability. Now, I don't want to take this too far, and I don't want us to sit here and begin to think of, like, what's my ability and start analyzing why I have or why I don't have. What I want us to take is what I believe God has for us here is that God is intentional and purposeful. He is the sovereign creator. He is the generous king. He knows us like no one knows us. He formed us. He created us. And he provides to us and gives to us. So some of us got really uncomfortable when we read that. Man, some got five. Some got two. Some of us feel like we're always the one getting the one. And then we read like according to ability. Well, I didn't, I didn't decide what my ability was. We rest in the goodness of God who is the giver of good things. While that can be viewed as unfair or unkind, I think when we, believe, when we look to our generous king who is the giver of good things and who knows us, this is actually an act of kindness towards us. That he gives us what we can handle. He gives us what he wants us to manage. We can easily compare to what others have, can't we? Comparison kills. Comparison will take all the gratitude and joy out of what God has given us. We lose the gratitude for the opportunity, the gratitude for the provision. So money redefined. Perspective of money starts with this, that no matter how much we have, faithful Christians believe God is the source for everything we have. So faithfulness with our money hinges on what we believe, our, believe about our money. Let's move on to our second belief, our second bedrock belief. It's this, faithful Christians believe, second, that God wants us to use our money. I know inside there was a lot of amens that were just ready to come out. We got some spenders. Besides my daughter who's in college, I got two boys who are 14 and 13. God, help us get through junior high. They, they, could, not be, they could not be any more different. 
One is a saver, and one is a constant spender. Daily, I will get texts, Dad, can I get? Dad, can I get? And yet he has no money. (laughs) Because he spent his money. And his brother is sitting over there with a bank account filled with money, not sure yet what he wants to spend it on. Hear this, God wants us to use our money. Most of our culture has no problem spending money. Average person's credit card debt's 5,300. That's a skewed number. The average person with credit card debt has about 30,000 in credit card debt. Average school debt for someone carrying debt from college is 30,000. Average car loan for someone carrying a car loan is 32,000. Now we have some savers, and the average saving is 5,300. Think the church needs a different perspective than the world? But this makes sense if we think the money is ours, to spend how we want, to, to save how we want. But God has given us our resources, and we must believe, to use as he has established He has established a right perspective of how to use our resources. You can write this down. I recently heard a pastor say this, so I didn't come up with it. God can talk to me about my money because I am just handling it from him. He's Lord. He can talk about it. And I need to listen. So we look back at this story. I think we're going to verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So when he had the two talents, went and made two talents more. But when he had received the one, but the one who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So we don't have a lot of uh, descriptive or really prescriptive of what actually went on, but studying the culture of Jesus' day, we, we see right away that the, that the first two servants really understood what the master's intention of giving them their money was, his money was. To go and trade it, to go and work with it, to go and invest in it. And boy, I wish I wasn't on the translation team um, for good reason. But I sure wish they would have used something, or maybe it's in the bottom. When we read one talent or two talents or five talents, we're just like, that's not much at all. But one talent was likely, not guaranteed, likely 20 years worth of work wages for one person. So there's all different kinds of how much money that is, but... Around America, that may be $600,000. 20 years, 30000 a year. That'd be hard to live. 600000 millions of dollars that has been given to these servants to go manage. And they see, the first two know, it's clear, I am to go trade. There is an expectation upon me. The master had a plan in which he gave it to me. 
Now, the third servant did something totally different. It tells us right here, and, and I don't think it's because he didn't understand the intention of the master. I think he had, he had some other things going on that we'll look at later. And here, here's what I want. If we're going to have a Christian perspective on money, if we're going to pursue faithfulness, if we're going to believe that faithfulness matters as followers of Jesus, we have to know what God says about our wealth. And while we may be shy to talk about money, Jesus never was. Just like we, as we begin to get to that age where we're like, man, we're not going to have as much income. We need to save. We need to talk to a financial advisor. We need, to, we need to think of how is this money that is going to be invested have a return upon it. That is the way that we ought to be thinking when God has entrusted stuff to us. So, because God can talk about money, and because God does talk about money, I just want to quickly look, real quickly, look at two places. And this is, this is just to bring them to your mind, opportunity for you to spend more time at home or in other contexts wrestling with it. I want to bring two passages to mind that shows that God wants you to do something with your money. And that's first is Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. So just turn quickly. We're going to take a little field trip. Go to the left of your Bible if you can have it and if you can read it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Here's what Jesus said in that famous sermon. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But... Contrast, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now this isn't the list we were hoping for. Like do this, do this, do this, do this. There's no chart in the back of the Bible that says here's how you break it all up. But this is a clear contrast and a powerful teaching presented here for us by Jesus. And notice the start of that verse in 19. He is not suggesting. He's not like, hey, why don't you think about? Hey, I've got an investment idea. I've got a multi-level opportunity. No, no, no. It's not what do you think about. It's a demanding, it is an authoritative, this is what you do as king of the kingdom. This is the way we are to use our treasures. And what is it? Don't treasure treasures here on earth. It's a great way that the Matthew, Jesus taught that. Don't treasure treasures here on earth. Don't gather and store. Don't have this value of, of getting things that have no eternal value that will waste away. I grew up outside Chicago, which meant that we packed our winter clothes at the end of winter, and we put them in bags, and we put them in the garage, and when we came out, they came back with moth holes in them because that's what moths do because there's no value, long-term value. They waste away. In Chicago, where the snow and the ice and the salt, cars are marked by rust and rust. Why? Because that's what they do. They decay. And Jesus is saying, don't do that with your treasures, but lay up for your treasures in heaven. What does that mean? 
Focus on things that have eternal value. One author said it's this way. It's giving them away, giving your treasures in a way that magnifies the worth of Jesus. Giving away, using resources in ways that Jesus will be glorified for his glory. God gives us his resources to manage, to use in such a way that brings him glory, makes much of him, not much of us as the manager. So take note of these few things. One, we see that is in giving money directly for the worship and the mission of God. That's why, that's why we worship in giving as part of a local congregation. We see it in the Old Testament people of God who brought their offerings to worship to be used for the mission. We see it in the New Testament church, the very first assemblies of God's people who would give their offerings for the Great Commission. The movement of Jesus, taking Jesus to the end of the earth, and as I mentioned at the beginning, the caring for the poor, the building of places of worship, the compensation of pastors and ministers for the work of the ministry has always been and will always be part of God's redemptive plan here on earth. It's the using of our resources for the mission of God to make much of him. But it's not just using our resources for the mission of God in the church. It's also using our resources for the good of others. Been around church communities where it seemed like it was all about giving money to them. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, you can jot that down where Paul is talking to Timothy, the lead pastor there in Ephesus, I believe, who wanted. He says this in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, just quick note, that's probably us. Maybe not all of us, but across the globe in this age, we likely fall into the rich. As for the rich, he gives some instruction. He says this, do good, be rich in good works, Be generous and ready to share. Be generous and ready to share. Actually be generous. Freely give and freely give more than expected and be ready to share. Have a posture and a position, a ready. It's the the player who's on the bench who's ready to go into the game. They know what's going on. They know the situation. They're ready. That's what we God intends, has established for us to do with our money, not just for the giving and the expansion of his kingdom, but also the, he's glorified in the generosity for others. And lastly, just to note, so that you don't think I don't realize these are part of them, it's also he intends for us to provide for our family. So that'd be the third one. And the fourth, he intends for us to enjoy the good things he has created. This is not a biblical perspective on wealth is not poverty. It's the mission of Christ. It's the good of others. It's the provision of our family. And it's the enjoyment of good things. And oh, what a journey we will be on for the rest of our lives to work in our situation within our community to how do we do those things because God wants us to use our money. This goes to the third bedrock belief. The third one, real quick. God cares how we use our money. Now, you might be like, hey, shouldn't this just been a two-point message? You'd have been done quicker. 
But here I want to I separate God wanting and God cares. Maybe you're a team member at work or you're on a team at work, and there's times that as the, the boss, and I've done this as a team leader, I've just been like, hey, man, I need you to do this. I need to see this. I want this. And that's the last time I talked about it or thought about it. And the team member went and did the work and, and, and is it ready? But I, I, I never came back to them. And, it, and all that communicated to them is I don't care. See where I'm going? The story shows us that God cares. That God cares. And I think he shows us in, 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 in two ways. One, verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came, look at those next four words, settled accounts with them. Oh, we see that God cares because, oh, the the master is a a symbol of him. He actually set a time to settle accounts. And our Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that there will be a day when our accounts will be settled. Now, as followers of Jesus who have put our faith and repentance in him and in him alone, our identity is set. Our sins have been forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there is a different type of judgment that is coming And yet the offer of salvation is available to you. That the perfect life of Jesus and the substitutionary death of Jesus and the victorious resurrection of Jesus is the good news for us. That if we would just put our faith and trust in him, repent of our sins, we will be saved and will not be condemned. But there is a settling of accounts where what we do for Christ will be tested. God cares. He didn't just leave his throne on heaven, come to earth. He just didn't spend time teaching his followers. He didn't just, uh, uh, by his spirit, inspire writing so that we could, could, could preserve it. Nor did he just, in his providence, allow it to be translated so that we could know it, just so that it's there. He did it because he cares. God really cares what we do. So we pursue faithfulness. We, we see lastly that he cares because of his response to the servants. And there's two different types of responses. For the, we won't read through it again, but for the first group of servants who went and traded, we see reward. We see commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, how we long to hear that from our God. Well done. We see invitation into the joy of the master. That's the the idea there is we're good. Oh, how we long for that with our God. God cares based upon his responses. And then we see in the third servant. We see a third servant who had a totally different perspective, who had a wrong view of his master. He thought he was a hard man. He had a, he had a wrong intention. He had a wrong goal. He thought, man, I cannot, based on fear, I cannot lose this, which led him to wrong actions. Dug a hole and let it sit there. And what was the response of the master? You wicked servant. It was rebuke. It was loss, and it was condemnation. Declared worthless as a servant. So, church, we pursue faithfulness. 
We understand that God gives and God wants and God cares all for God's glory. What a privilege it is for us to manage just a little bit of what he has. And may we, as his people, use it for his glory. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. And we're grateful for the clarity it gives us. Spirit, help us. Teach us. May we believe it. And may we use what you have given us all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.